Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Randomly Generated History Club, where three non-historians pick a year at random and try to learn things about it. I'm Anna, and I'm here with my two friends, Ant and Will. Hi there. Hello. Hello. Uh, <laughs> you, you didn't need to say hello. Well, I just wanted to say hi to you guys. Hello. Hello. Uh, and to our faithful listeners at home. This week, uh, it's an exciting one. We've got mm. the year 1995, which we determined was our the first year that we've had on the show where we were alive. It's the biggest year yet. It's the biggest year yet, numerically, <laughs> numerically speaking, and emotionally, I would say, as well. So much happened in this so year. So it was overwhelming. It was too much to choose from. Yeah, it, and it was just so weird to to think about topics and then remember where I was when they mm, happened yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and my sure. reaction to them, like the OJ verdict. Yeah, I can't, um, believe you, I can't believe you did that. I know. Well, you know, do, it, do what you gotta do. So anyway, uh, we'll get into our stories. But first, uh, can I have your three words? Will. Posh ball war. Posh ball war. Yeah, that Great. sounds like a tongue twister. Yeah. Uh, and mine is my retirement fund. <laughs> ah. Okay. Uh, and mine is we oui or no. <laughs> okay, French then. <laughs> French, French. Yeah, yeah. Good, 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 good. All right. I am up first today. And um, yeah, like we mentioned, 1995 was overwhelming and there were just so many things to talk about. And, uh, you know, my reaction to them and, and everything. And so I was going to do OJ and then I was going to do Michael Jordan's return to basketball, mm. but I decided not to do either of those because it was just too much. I needed some really neutral ground to cover and I came up with the most neutral ground of all. So today I'm talking about Canada. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
the least controversy possible. <laughs> I know. Good. Um, and I don't know that we've ever talked about Canada on the program. And I, mm, I know I we have know. listeners there and, and we love you guys. Yeah. But... Has anyone ever talked about it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it turns out Canada has history. Oh. I really? mean, li- a little bit. But it's basically British and American history, isn't it? Yeah. It's America's hat, <laughs> as the saying goes. But uh, in 1995, there was actually quite a pivotable, p- pivotable? Pivotal. pivotal moment in Canadian history, which was uh, the Quebecois independence <gasps> referendum. Oh, okay. So the province of Quebec. And yes. so for our listeners who don't know about Canada, which I assume is most of them. Including the Canadians. Including the Canadians. <laughs> Um, of the provinces, Quebec has always been a little unique. It retains the most French culture versus the rest of Canada, which is has more of an English culture. Um, it's largely francophone. Uh, it's where Montreal is. And the question of independence has come up time and time again because they feel like the odd one out and maybe yep. that they should be their own thing. Uh, they had an a referendum in the in 1980 uh, that did not succeed. And spoiler alert, this one doesn't either yeah, because I, I, it is still I, part of Canada. Yeah, there's no Republic of Quebec that I know. Oh, sorry, <laughs> La Republique. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and so you might think, well, what's the point of telling this story? But I'm going to tell you that of all the interesting things that happened in 1995, this is right up there. It's got it all. It's got confusingly worded ballots, necrotizing fasciitis, prank phone calls, <laughs> a sousson of ethnic nationalism. And uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. All of this is true. I am excited. <laughs> all right. So after the failed independence referendum in 1980... Um, in 1987, the prime minister and the premiers of all of the Canadian provinces negotiated something called the Meech Lake Accord, which had a series of amendments that decentralized some powers and, and recognized Quebec as a distinct society. But uh, they had all of the provinces had three years to ratify this. And if they didn't, it was null and void. And so there was a lot of heated debate. And long story short, two provinces failed to ratify it. So Quebec did, wasn't singled out as having any sort of distinct society. And that really enraged Quebecers. The uh, people in this distinct society. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so they kicked off another big conversation about independence. And in 1995, they decided to try again with a full referendum. Um, the Yes campaign was led by the premier of Quebec, whose name was Jacques Parizeau. Um, and here's a helpful tip. Anytime somebody has a French sounding name, yep. they're generally pro-independence. <laughs> <laughs> and if they have a really, really English sounding name, anti. Um, <laughs> except that the no side was led by federalist Canadians like the prime minister, Jean Chrétien. So he immediately disproves my rule about French sounding names. Uh, and the no side, you know, emphasized the economic risks and played up the touchy-feely stuff. Very similar to what's happening in the conversation about Scottish independence, right? Like, mm. there are a lot of risks. Um, yeah, the French people there really the want French independence. The French people there are so pro-Scottish <laughs> independence. Um each side had a budget of $5 million to conduct their campaign, which I find just so lovely and quaint. Amazing. And like, yep, here you go, $5 million, you can't spend a penny more. <laughs> and one of the central questions in the run-up to the referendum was, 
what exact type of sovereignty would be on the ballot and how much they needed to get into the future of a partnership and, and what it would look like. And um, there was a large faction who said that it needed to be clear that Quebec would retain some sort of formal economic partnership with Canada. But then others thought that this was unnecessary at this stage and would dilute the central question of independence, you know, like, we just need a straight up yes or no vote and not uh, get dragged into all the particulars. However, there were lawsuits and injunctions and a lot of back and forth wrangling. And the final draft of the question was this. Do you agree that Quebec should become sovereign after having made a formal offer to Canada for a new economic and political partnership within the scope of the bill respecting the future of Quebec and of the agreement signed on the June 12th, 1995? What? I don't... (laughs) (laughs) Unpacking this is... I have it in French as well, um, but I'll spare you that. So it's just like the wordiest, yeah. most confusing. <laughs> like I could not tell you what. Yeah, I, I'm now actually. I thought if I voted yes, it means independence. But yeah. now I'm not super sure. Yeah, actually. exactly. And I don't know if you guys watch Parks and Rec, but uh, there's this great newscaster uh, character on the show called Purd Happily. And in one episode, he runs a poll, and the question of his poll is: Do you think that Leslie Nope should be in England? Do you not think that, <laughs> or do you not think that? <laughs> it's just like that's exactly what this question is it's sort of like i guess yes um so despite this like very confusingly worded question uh the campaign kicks off and early polls show that the pro-independence side is is down and independence looks unlikely then uh parizeau the leader of the pro-independence side uh, decided on a strategy of attacking business leaders who oh, intervened in the campaign, saying that they were betraying their Quebecer customers. I mean, you know, attacking business is not a good way to start a new society. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it just threw more doubt into what the economic ramifications of this would be. And so the yes side said, we got to get this guy out of here. We need a different pro-independence campaigner. Can I take back that? Because I think if you're a communist, attacking business is exactly what you want to do to start your new society. (laughs) Who's bringing the communists into this? I don't know. I just think they could crop up on any stage. (laughs) That's true. You know, Always be alert and vigilant. Okay. The red menace is looming over all of us. (laughs) Exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Never apologize for alerting people to the red menace. <laughs> uh, so the yes side decides to shake it up a bit and enter a man named Lucien Bouchard. So Lucien Bouchard was the incredibly charismatic leader of the Bloc Québécois party, political party, and people loved him, partly because in 1994, he'd been in a bad hockey accident where he broke his leg the wound got infected. He got he contracted necrotizing fasciitis, which mm. is the flesh-eating bacteria. Yeah. Genuinely the scariest thing I can possibly imagine. And he had to have the leg amputated. But people loved this resilience, and they loved him even more for persevering despite these obstacles. And politicians on both sides of the aisle described his appeal as, quote, messianic and almost impossible to personally attack. And I love this story. Apparently, there were focus groups where when the people were presented with statements that Bouchard had made that they didn't like, they would just refuse to believe that he made the statements. (laughs) (laughs) So he's just like this untouchable. How do I get that power? I know, right? (laughs) 
Um, and for instance, at one point, Bouchard said Quebecois were the white race with the lowest rate of reproduction, which, you know, smacks a little bit of, of mm, ethnic nationalism. Yeah, it's a bit <laughs> odd. And people just sort of let it go and it didn't become an issue yeah, and he yeah, wasn't yeah. attacked for it. So this guy is like untouchable. Okay, I've not seen a picture of him, but I'm assuming he's extremely handsome. Um, He's... Is he handsome? Um, he's Canadian handsome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what an absolute savage burn. He's got really good eyebrows. Got very charismatic, okay. thick, bushy brows. Yep. Um, I mean, so did I Saddam Hussein. Like, yeah. You know, just saying. Saddam Hussein was a good looking bloke. Every- what you like about Saddam Hussein, but he, was, he had charisma. He had, he had com- commanding eyebrows. Yeah. Is my, is my thing. Yeah. yeah. Check out Saddam Hussein in the, in like the early eighties. Like I'm not. You know, listeners, do Google that. Was, uh, or read about him on Will's blog. <laughs> Great fascists of history. Um, so Bouchard and his charisma just really supercharge the yes side, and the campaign rages on, and all of a sudden and it's become really tight. Um, the First Nations people in Quebec are strongly opposed to independence. And Bill Clinton, U.S. president, also intervenes, saying how special Canada is. Uh, but then my favorite part of this whole story is that a Montreal radio station had their DJ impersonate Jean Chrétien, the, the prime minister, on a call to the queen. They actually Whoa. called what? Queen Elizabeth. Whoa. And begged her to make a televised address asking Quebecers to vote no. And they spoke to her for 17 minutes before her staff realized it was a hoax. (laughs) And she apparently like reluctantly agreed to do the broadcast during this 17 minute prank phone call. Um, So I love that. Anyway, referendum day arrives. They just like dial... Zero zero four four one. Yeah, they just. Um, oh, sorry, Will is showing me a picture of young Saddam Hussein. It's, I mean, it's, it's striking. I mean, I, I I see it. I see it. So Google that on your own time. <laughs> um, referendum day arrives, and the turnout was ninety three point five two percent, which was the highest no. that it had ever been. Ninety three percent of of Quebecers. So it's yeah. not yeah, all yeah. Canadians, okay. obviously. It's just Quebec. Oh, wow. But it's the highest turnout in Canadian history. And so, of course, we know that Quebec isn't independent, so uh, the independent side lost. But do you guys want to guess what the margin was? Like less than 7%. There was really like, those people that didn't vote could have swung it. I reckon reckon about like 60, 40. 60, 40. 50.58% voted no. Wow. Yeah, it was a difference of about 55,000 votes. Wow. And uh, something like 81,000 ballots were marked uh it, yeah, like, it, yeah, ineligible. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So oh there gosh. was all of this stole the vote. Exactly. Controversy voting machines. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um and then I mean the the fallout from this was immense. Like it eventually went to the Canadian Supreme Court who said even if independence had won, it's unconstitutional and you wouldn't have been able to do it. So it's this like whole question and um you know was it even legal? Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I guess like it shows there isn't like an overwhelming majority for it. Yeah. You know, it's about 50 50. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was just, I just thought that was so interesting. That, I mean, that is like razor thin. We talk it about is. Brexit being 52 48 and how thin that is, but like 50.58%. Um, and uh, it really kind of dampened the momentum of the sovereignty movement. And yeah. there were other proposed referendums that never really amounted to anything. And obviously the question still 
exist. I think. Yeah, the, the complex, complex yeah. question. <laughs> it didn't just sort of go away. But um, yeah, so that was just a little bit of what was happening in Canada in, uh, in 1995. Nice. That's yeah. pretty cool. And that's probably the last time I'll ever talk about Canada <laughs> on the show. We love you, Canada. <laughs> Okay, today I'm going to talk about the, the surprisingly fascinating history of the game of rugby. Ooh! Ooh. <laughs> Look at me feigning enthusiasm in this sport. <laughs> um, and that's because in 1995, which is the year that we're covering this week, uh, that was the year that rugby officially became um, a professional sport. Okay. Having been oh. an amateur sport. Oh. Previously. Really? Yes. So it was that recently that rugby became a, pro- a professional sport. Now, what? How does? Th- what does that mean? I will come okay, to good. exactly <laughs> that. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm assuming talk. that means they got paid. Right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. So I'm, I'm not going to talk about the rules very much because Thank God. Uh, because uh, they're actually not that complicated. But like, yeah, yeah. You could just, you know you can search that on your own. Um, so you could just go on um, Ask Jeeves or in yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah or yeah. download in Carter. <laughs> <laughs> maybe in Carter 95 do either yeah. of you have an AOL well, CD I've, my I've subscription run out. <laughs> is only up to the D's at the moment oh, so no. if you need anything about Denmark yeah. or Danish pastries that's all, it's and Carter's very both of the same listing yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yes what else was it 1995 was, was Lycos 95 Lycos like, oh, probably around about, yeah Alta, Alta Vista Alta AOL Navigator yeah AOL. Alta Vista yeah. yeah oh those are the days great stuff um, <laughs> so you, uh, just jump on any of those platforms to find out the rules <laughs> so rugby or rugby football stems from the form of the game um, of football that was played at rugby school in England Okay. and there are former pupils of their, that school who then introduced it into their universities and, and so there was a specific guy a specific former rugby school student called uh, Albert Pell who is the um, sort of rugby messiah a figure um, I guess when will the rugby messiah return <laughs> <laughs> um, I, there, there is actually no fixed prophecy on that oh, okay. yes okay. but we can correct one he um, died for our sin bin <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. very good that's Excellent. very good so, so he's, cre- he's credited with having formed the first football team uh, at, whilst at Cambridge University using the these rugby rules and it was at this time this is like 1840s in England that when all the different major private schools were using different rules mm. um, I think we sp- I spoke about it we have, yeah, I, yeah, I, we I have, covered yeah, football yeah. football didn't yeah. I you didn't cover football football I'm yeah. cool I'm like uh, I, I'm, yeah. you just love sports so much well, we don't talk about sport that much <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's a history podcast there's not such an intersection of history nerds and he's an important nerds. cultural phenomenon yeah. <laughs> we can do American football next at yeah. some point pass um, anyway so, so these former pupils of rugby and Eton each attempted to then carry their rules onto their universities And but here's a lesson to anyone who wants to change the world Um, A key event in uh, the early development of rugby football was when someone bothered to actually write down and distribute the rules um, of the of of the ones of the the rules underpinning the version of the sport from rugby school, and then that sort of got those rules were distributed. They got out there into the wider world, and those became really quite popular for a very long period of time. But because they kind of wrote it down first and distributed it first, it it goes that old adage: whoever wrote the rules 
breaks the rules. Yep. Yep. Pithy. <laughs> That's succinct. Uh, which then got superseded with a gold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, write things down. Write things down. And um, the sport basically started to grow in popularity amongst that posh public school group of people. And in 1863, about 20 years later, they formed a national governing body. So that was the Football Association. And that then codified a set of universal football rules in, in England. But those rules specifically banned people from running with the ball which uh, in their hands, mm. which is for those people who don't, don't know the route, who haven't checked their Encarta article yet, <laughs> like is quite a key part of rugby. Yeah. Uh, and so, and they, they also disallowed at that point this thing that was going on at the time called hacking, which was basically Uh-oh. kicking the shins <laughs> of, of players. This is like very, very common in some versions of, of football at the time is totally legal and so in protest at the imposition of these new rules several clubs then broke away from this fa we used to have an fa in england mm-hmm. uh which looks after what you know not like soccer there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And they uh, and they then set up their own preferred rules of the game, which are the rugby rules. They break away at that point, and uh, they decided. And then very very quickly, they then outlawed hacking as well. Because, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, like all the yeah, broken legs, I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, they then um, b- b- created uh, rules of the game called uh, codified under something called the Rugby Football Union in 1871. Mm. And so that was the point, really, when you had like these two things had diverged, and you had these two like emerging emerging rules of the thing. Yep. So in the eighteen in the eighteen seventies, and then later there was like another major schism. So in the eighteen in eighteen ninety five, within rugby, uh, you then had a bunch of northern clubs which resigned from the RFU a bit over the issue of uh, reimbursing players for their time that they lost from their workplaces, uh, and this is basically the start of this uh, the, the schism, the further schism between rugby union and rugby league, which is far too deep for this podcast. Yeah, but there's but it's uh, for, for for people who like are familiar with rugby league as a thing like these 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 like class-based issues and social issues are like at the very heart of like the identity of people who go and watch rugby league games really um and it's like there's a whole thing there to okay which one's the posher one then rugby union is by far the posher one okay Okay. and the rugby league is the northern working class yeah predominantly more than the working class practicing the mines and and its whole and But literally, its whole setup was like around all these issues, so it's okay, like yeah, it's yeah. Sort of baked into the whole sport. Um, and then, um, yeah, and that became rugby rugby league. And then at that point, that was when rugby union started calling itself rugby union. Um, so, and uh, that was in eighteen ninety five. And that's how they all emerged at the end of the nineteenth century. And then, basically, the whole thing kept growing throughout the twentieth century. Uh, and there was the first rugby world cup 
held in Australia and New Zealand in 1987. Oh. Okay. So again, pretty recently. Yeah. And then in the year in question in 95, the rugby union was then still an amateur sport right up until the point when the uh, just after the World Cup that year in August, when the whole the world governing body of of the sport, the IRB, then declared it to be quote open unquote, oh. and uh, that basically removed restrictions on payments to the players. Ah. Ah, good, good, good. So at that point, you could pay people. Therefore, it's a professional game. Uh, and then since then, it's just changed enormously as it's become like every other commercialized sport Massive. with yeah. loads of money, yeah, 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 pouring in shirt or- sponsors. Shirt sponsors. We should sponsor a shirt. We should. Mm. We do sponsor. Yeah, we sponsor uh, the Crusaders in New Zealand. <laughs> we have a four million pound a year deal with them. Really? You know what I this? I wasn't. I just kind of. I just say yes to the minutes of the board meeting. I yeah. Don't really yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. we're spending four mil on that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's worth it though. I mean, the the ne- name recognition in New Zealand is, is huge, off the charts. Yeah. Huge. Six or seven from. people know who we are. <laughs> okay, so a couple of questions to finish off to give a sense of the scale of rugby. Yep. So in the world today. How many active people do you think there are who play rugby regularly? Active players regularly playing. Oh, I thought professionals you were like- or just no, not professionals, but people who are playing for like either like a school team or a club or oh, like God. how many people? Like, um, what would you reckon ballpark? Like maybe two million. Two million? Maybe a, at a push. Like ten million. It is, in fact, 10 million. Is Yay! it? Wow. Almost, yeah, yeah, almost exactly 10 million. So that is the scale of it. I've counted them. That's how I know. <laughs> and how Anna many people... Googles uh, rugby playing men quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for research. And then how many people do you think watched the Rugby World Cup final oh, gosh. in 2019? So the last Rugby Cup World Cup final there were... Close to a billion? Close to a billion? Uh, 20 million. 20 million. The answer is... <laughs> Just the parents of the rugby players in the world. <laughs> yeah, the, the answer is, in fact, 857 million. I'm or a bit one closer. in nine people on earth watch the Rugby World Cup Jesus. final. So, you know, it's not, it's not nothing, right? Like, yeah, it yeah, is, yeah. like, it has some following. One in nine people watch the thing. Uh, there you are. That's, that's rugby for you and a sense of its reach and scale and history. Very, very important history topic. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I learned a lot. And now, in addition to Googling young Saddam Hussein, I will be Googling, you know, important, All the rugby players. Im- important rugby players. <laughs> right. My section, my retirement fund. And before we begin, can I please give a disclaimer that the following does not count as financial advice. <laughs> Past performance is not an indicator for future returns. And please to consult your financial planner and ideally your family before making any large investments. Oh God, I'm so nervous. However, saying that, I have a surefire way to make millions of pounds. <laughs> <laughs> you literally cannot lose. And how, I hear you ask. Yes, how? Beanie babies. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Today I'm going to talk about the craze that hit in the 90s for the <sighs> Beanie Babies, known as Beanie Baby Mania, or if you're like, you know, a naysayer, the, the Beanie Baby Bubble. Um, <laughs> but this was, uh, this was just by the way, for, the, for our younger fans who don't know, when people um, just lost their goddamn minds yeah. for stuffed teddy bears. Yeah. To be fair, they were more than just teddy bears. There they were, was a they wide, were friends. There was a wide array of animals. Yes. Can we just have a quick check right now, which of the three of us collected Beanie Babies? Okay. Uh, I did not. I did not. 
I did. I don't collect, <laughs> I invest. <laughs> I do still have all of mine too. That How is... many? Um, oh, probably oh like oh no. 20 or 25. Wow. Like I wasn't one of those people who had, you know, hundreds, but I, I was really into it. Yeah, a lot of people were. Yeah. Um, and and we'll, we'll learn more about this. Okay, good. So it started off with a chap called Ty Warner and his associates, Patricia Roach and Faith McGowan. Uh, Ty was a toy maker prior to starting his own company in 1986, uh, which produced stuffed toys. And he didn't have much initial success until about 1993, when he invented the bean. Or more specifically, the, the, the plastic <laughs> pellets that stuff the toys. So uh, right. th- this gave the toys their signature denser yet subtly plush feeling that they Ooh, have. Yeah. And they were slightly understuffed on purpose so they could be easier to pose as opposed to regular teddy bears that are fully stuffed and yeah, sort of very static. Stiff. Yeah. yeah. It's worth noting there's a little bit of controversy surrounding who leaned into what, who did what in this sort of triangle of people. Um, they were kind of dating, they were not dating, they weren't married, but there's a bit of a triangle. Like whoever, whatever, who cares, right? But the interesting part is who should be credited for the inventions and the work going into it. Ty does get most of the credit, but there was definitely a lot of help and support by these two women okay. involved as well. So, just, thus. so take this all with sort of a caveat of 90s yeah. uh, chauvinism. Well, it's his, yeah, it's his name on the ear tag. It is his name in the ear tag and the company. But anyway, Warner did play a pivotal role in the success of these Beanie Babies because he carefully managed their production, the distribution, and importantly, the marketing. So he implemented strategies by making uh, limited production runs, uh, retiring certain designs uh, at the peak of their their, their popularity, and creating the sense of exclusivity, Mm. which fueled the collector frenzy surrounding these Beanie Babies. Because suddenly this bear that was $20 today was going to be $40 tomorrow because they're cutting off supply. Exactly. And they would distribute Beanie Babies of certain types to different shops and they would purposely not have this widespread. So created this sort of fever around them, which is incredible. It's actually like a fascinating economic it is. theory. Like, yeah. it's, it's, I, I'm just scarcity. gripped by this <laughs> <Yeah>. immediately. <laughs> so despite, I mean, you're on board, but despite the initial scepticism from some retailers, Beanie Baby's popularity soared in the mid-90s. And Ty Incorporated experienced remarkable growth. Warner's attention to detail, his dedication to the quality of the materials going into it, and his innovative marketing tactics played this ro- significant role in the company's success. By the mid-90s, Beanie Babies were this cultural phenomenon. Uh, phenomena? Phenomenon? Phenomenon. <laughs> That's the one. Do, do, do. And it sought after collectible. Uh, they were just in the zeitgeist. People were investing in them and hoarding them, thinking that they would grow in value in later years. And there were Beanie Baby fairs, and there was even fights with limited runs opened in certain shops. And one of my favourite stories from this is... Uh, a truck that was carrying Beanie Babies to McDonald's for a limited run overturned on the interstate in Atlanta. Oh, God. And there was people just surging onto the interstate. Oh, my God. Picking them up and trying to like, <laughs> pick them up, um, you know, risking life and limb. So... <laughs> Will is making the most astonished face right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People really bought into it. So another thing that actually helped to fuel the rise of the Beanie Babies was also the rise of eBay. Yeah. So this, wow. I mean, I don't know if you heard of it, but this online auction platform founded in 1995 provided this convenient and accessible marketplace for collectors to buy and then sell these Beanie Babies mm. worldwide. So it could be a worldwide phenomenon. And then the people were connecting and trading with each other on forums and this rise of the internet helped to bubble the the popularity even higher. And this brings us to 1995, precisely where one of the most rare and precious Beanie Babies of all time was made. 
the iconic Peanut, the Royal Blue Elephant. Oh. This was especially rare. Peanut, the Royal Blue Elephant. Yeah. I did not have Peanut. No, you didn't, probably. It was especially rare because the elephant was supposed to be a light blue rather than the royal blue, but due to a mix-up in one of the factories, a very scarce number of them were manufactured in this deep royal blue. Uh, One of them would actually go on to sell for $10,000. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, But this pales in significance actually to some of the other Beanie Babies. Um, For example, a mint condition original 1997 release of Princess Bear, otherwise known as Princess Diana Bear, can fetch even more than that. I have one of those. Do you? Yeah. Okay. The original one? I mean... From 1997? I think so. Okay. Um, I want you to guess, how much do you think that bear is worth? Uh, I... Like, 50,000? Will? Um, 20,000. Okay, so... The, the, there's one being listed right now for $500,000. <laughs> Uh, it hasn't sold for that, by the yeah, way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, I could list it for $10 million. Uh, That's the most expensive. But the wow. one was actually sold, one physical one was actually sold in 2022 for $20,000. Oh my God. So if you have an original one with the tag still on as a mint condition, and I mean, it's actually I, the princess thing. I definitely have one. I don't know if it's, I'm like, I'm going to call my dad as soon as the show is over and make my him go gosh. to my room I'm, and find it. There's, there's also a few on eBay for like 300 pounds. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, most, I still, like, I'll take that money. <laughs> so <laughs> mo- most of them are not worth more you than You should anything. genuinely sell all them. Yeah. Right? Well, they make me happy when I go home and see them. Oh, I see. (laughs) Anyway, shortly after this, you know, this craze, late 90s, early 2000s, surprise, surprise, the beanie bubble burst. So there was hilarious scenes in courtrooms of divorcing couples splitting up their stash between them of the beanie babies saying, you know, dividing their wealth. Yeah, I don't Um, care about custody of the kids. I just want my Princess Diana bear. Exactly. Uh, People's life savings were poured into it, including a chap called Chris Robinson, who had about who has, sorry, about 20,000 Beanie Babies in his garage. And uh, it cost about $100,000 approximately back in the day. And he's still holding them all onto them in case they go up in price. And that's, of course, what I'm doing. And in (laughs) fact, I'm doubling down because I'm going to buy the dip. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And if anyone wants to buy Beanie Babies from me along the way, uh, please, please, please do. So I can go back to enjoying things like (laughs) hot meals and, you know. It's worth it. It's a great investment. It is a great investment. I'm going to cash out and be a billionaire <laughs> so okay to wrap this up let's have a game i'm gonna do kind of a two truths and a lie kind of thing i'm okay. gonna name a couple of beanie babies and one of them in this group i have made up okay and i need you to guess which one it is okay is it bongo the monkey <laughs> spike the rhino fizzles the dragon or puddles the duck fizzles the dragon fizzles the dragon what was the third one uh uh Bongo the monkey, Spike the rhino, Fizzles the dragon, oh, or, the rhino. Or, or Puddles the duck. The answer is Fizzles the dragon. Yeah, I oh. think they were all real animals. I don't think they did any mythical creatures. Oh. I think they do kind of everything at this stage. Okay. So I well, think, you know, like they've, us purists. They've lost all the run of them, you know. Yeah. Um, so what happened to I the saw a dragon? Of, Sorry, Cameron. You saw a dragon? <laughs> Sorry, that's way more interesting. <laughs> no, I did in Georgia. <laughs> okay, good. good, no, good, you, good. you slew it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yes, of course. Wow. 
Is that you? St. <laughs> <Saint> John? <laughs> yeah, with my lance. St. George. St. <laughs> George, that's the one. Yeah. Not St. John. Anyway, uh, so what happened to the company and to our main man, Ty? Well, he's still alive and kicking, and he is, in fact, a billionaire. His company still produces Beanie Babies to this day. Wow. Some of the 2023 lineup includes their Easter collection with Hippity, Hoppity, and Floppy. Ooh. Along with Honeycomb the Dog and Snapper the Frog slash maybe Turtle, I'm not sure. Um <laughs> <laughs> but he also runs MGA Entertainment, which makes the Bratz dolls. Oh. Yeah. And he has a wide portfolio of investments, uh, you sure. know, property, etc., as one does. So maybe do what Ty did by diversifying investments rather than going deep on uh, toys. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. That's uh, everything you need to know about Beanie Babies and 1995. I highly commend the website beaniepedia.com. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, its tagline says it has the aim to be the most comprehensive online database of Beanie Babies and the most useful tool for managing your collection. Yeah. And it definitely hits the mark. It is It is. It is intense. Um, also, there actually is a movie coming out later this year called The Beanie Bubble, featuring Zach Galifianakis oh. as Ty, and also featuring uh, Sarah Snook from Succession. Yeah. Oh, she's yeah. great. Is yeah. she playing great. a Beanie Baby? She is playing, I think, one of uh, Patricia Oh, one Roach of the Love Triangle. One of the Love Triangle type people, Fascinating. yes, I think. Anyway, there you go. Beanie Babies. I, I, I'm ha- I have so many emotions right now, and I remember... <laughs> Because all Beanie Babies had a birthday. Uh, so in their ear tag, they would have their name, a birthday, and a, like a little poem. Yeah. And I was always looking for one with my birthday. And I remember being so happy when I found him. His name was Houston the dog. I still have him. He's actually in London with me. Wow. Um, and I was like... Uh, which, sorry, that made me sound really weird. I don't know why I have him in London. I don't like, you know, he <laughs> sleeps on my bed. Anyway, I was so happy to find this Beanie Baby. And I just Googled when he was released, thinking that, oh, I found him in the late 90s. No, no, he was released in 2005. So I still bought Beanie Babies in 2005. My goodness. Uh-huh. Wow. So... Just and he's worth pennies now. He's worth pennies. Yeah. Whole pennies. He's worth a lot to you. He's worth a lot to you. He is worth a lot to me and he has my birthday. And so now everybody knows my birthday if you're willing to go on Beaniepedia and look it up. <laughs> Amazing. I've, I've just, I, I completely passed me by as, yeah. a, as a craze. I was a I, pog man. Yeah. Oh, was I it was, the same I time? I was both. You could be both. I think pogs were pretty much the same. I mean, pogs yeah. also stretched back earlier, I think 80s, 90s and uh, yeah. you, you know. But I like the idea of sort of arbitrarily li- limiting production on a thing mm. to yeah. drive, like making it essentially random. It's like well, if you ran a toy factory, that's what you would do. Yes, it is absolutely. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely going to launch a I business mean, off the back Wait of till you hear about the diamond trade. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right. Thank you for joining us. That's everything you could possibly ever need to know. Uh, and yeah. I hope you hope you learned a lot. It was a great year. We've learned so much. <laughs> We've grown as people. We've grown as people <laughs> emotionally and physically. <laughs> oh, we should stop eating. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess all that's left to do is to get our next year. Mm, I think it's uh, my turn to continue my apprenticeship. apprenticeship. I feel I am. I'm getting quite good at this. Okay. Okay. Let's not get too cocky. Uh, yeah, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, anyway, let me just take it out of the bell jar and pour the mirror over it. <laughs> yep. And the next year is... Oh, the ticker tape's quite a long one. Ooh, the ticker tape. We haven't had the ticker tape in so long. <laughs> uh, okay, let me just read this. Okay. It says, Dear Randomly Generated History 
Club. The next episode shall be an extra special episode where you shall be hosting illustrious board member Paul Bavel of History Rage. Ooh! Ah, okay. And the year in question shall be 1942. Amazing. 1942, our first World War II episode and our first ever guest. Yes, the illustrious Paul Bavel. For those that don't know, he uh, he he runs uh, History Rage, which is um, obviously a secret clandestine member of the Randomly Generated History Club. He yes. doesn't like to publish his membership, of course. That's my favourite podcast. <laughs> it's pretty. It actually is a very good podcast, wherein he gets actual historians in. It is, um, and good. he interviews them about specific topics that enrages them that people might get wrong or that people misconstrue, uh, and then. It actually gets really elicits uh, really nice. good responses and stuff. Oh so, God! So he like knows things. He, I'm slightly nervous that he's a <laughs> very he, he is an actual historian. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Well, we're going to have to be on our best behavior. <laughs> yeah, but 1942, great year to do. Great and, year. Uh, yeah, plenty of history. Probably some Beanie Baby stuff. <laughs> <laughs> the initial Beanie Babies were yeah. happening there. Cool. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. So we will see you next time with our guest Paul Bavel. Perfect. See, see you then. Next time. Toodles. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.